Hello, welcome back to Judge Movie uh, with me, Ben Flanagan, the movie judge, who judges movies accused of crimes against cinema. I'm joined, as ever, by my cinema attorney. Alicia Izumi, hello. So what have we got today in court coming through the conveyor belt of cases? Uh, Today we're talking about film habitats. We're going to be thinking about where the best place to watch a film is. Um, Should it be in the cinema? Should it only be in the cinema? What about at home, on your laptop, dare I say on your phone? This is inspired by Cinema Rediscovered, which is a film festival in Bristol. It's in its third year. Um, It's inspired by Il Cinema Ritrovato, which is a festival in Bologna that's been running for many years. And it's all about showing archive films, uh, restorations and celebrating film history. They've managed to tie a lot of the restorations in with uh, movies that are getting nationwide re-releases. Like one of the opening films was uh, James Ivory's Morris, which is now out in UK cinemas. And they've also got a... 4K restorations of The Apartment and Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a few interesting strands running through them. They've got one called Women on the Periphery, um, which is celebrating the debuts of Women on the Periphery, many of which were released 25 years ago. Um, so they're celebrating sort of those marginalised voices in films, including uh, uh, Just Another Girl on the IRT. Is it from the I- IRT? From, I think. Just Another Girl. Just <laughs> the IRT, um, and they yeah, and Kira, and they've got this uh, hundred years of Andre Bazan uh, strand as well, where they're going to show um, Renoir's Crime of Mister Lang or Le Crime de Monsieur Lang, and also showing You Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey, which came out earlier this year. I think that's quite an interesting choice mm-hmm. to show the sort of difference between the start and the end of that 100 years because they're also showing Phantom Carriage aren't they okay, yeah. um, which is a classic silent film so mm-hmm. interesting juxtaposition there I think it'd be yeah. nice, to, nice to see that yeah it's a really exciting festival kind of talking about the relevance of film history and making sure you see it in a cinema absolutely and also challenging notions of what uh, seeing it in a cinema even is with the outdoor screenings of stuff like Flash Gordon and Black Panther that they've got on mm-hmm. Um, they've got a trip to the Curzon in Clevedon. They've got a trip to the Curzon in Clevedon, um, and there's also what the fuck uh, there's it? a lot of special talks as well. They've made sure. I think pretty much every film has an introduction. Um, we've got a strand celebrating Mike Hodges, who was a Bristol-born filmmaker, um, and yeah, I think an important part of what Cinema Discovered tried to do is have an introduction for each film just to make sure that experience is really engaging, like contextualising the film in a certain way and making it a really unique experience. We're going to have, we're going to talk to some people who are there to get some expert testimony from the ground. So we're, we're in the streaming era. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of this thing that's constantly talked about is cinema's dead uh, Netflix was the final like straw that broke the camel's back mm-hmm. uh, all the auteurs are flocking to Netflix or they're flocking to HBO to do TV shows mm-hmm. is cinema still alive should we be watching it at home or should we stay in the cinema mm-hmm. only watch films in the cinema to support a dying industry yeah that is the debate it's, it's constantly recurring you know time and again um, it's often talked about um 
it's an anxiety people have that the cinema industry is dying but in reality this is like there's always been a constant threat on movie theatres um right back in the beginning of cinema um it was threatened by radio and then by television and then by VHS and then by DVD there's always something threatening the cinema but it's always fought back with innovations in technology increasing the comfort increasing the spectacle it's always fought back and I I don't think this is this is going to kill it Netflix isn't going to kill the cinema today I think I I do agree with you last year was a big like warning shot I think from Netflix and and, uh, the cinema had a really off year where films like The Dark Tower or The Snowman uh, or uh, even Pirates of the Caribbean and Transformers these sort of trusted franchises were really underperforming at the box office but what we've seen this year is that actually that was based on the films themselves rather than rather than audience habits changing mm-hmm. people want a reason to leave the cinema they want to, to go to the cinema they want to know that they're going to get something that they can talk about that's going to provide them with a lot of fun mm-hmm. and so maybe that does result in the only films that people are going out to see are the big ones mm. so is cinema going to be a space that's reserved for films like Black Panther and the Avengers just for the Disney stuff or will and you'll have to just watch your your smaller films on wait for them to go on demand I don't know yeah I guess these are questions that are happening right now um before we get too stuck into it um I did just want to clarify some of the things we won't be talking about because there's a lot of sort of tangents to this debate um like the validity of Netflix originals and the kind of streaming giants becoming their own producers and then becoming distributors like the case of Annihilation, which was meant to be released in cinemas with Annihilation with Paramount, but then it ended up on Netflix in the UK, and there's quite a lot of conversation around that. Yeah, I'd love to send Netflix down for that, but mm-hmm. or Paramount really, but that's not quite the chat that we're having here. We're talking about what is an actual experience in terms of film as being a, a special experience that you mm-hmm. can only have in a certain place or in a certain time. What is the best way to to experience that? Yeah. So, what is the best film experience that you've ever had? Oh man, that is a big question. Um, I guess when I get asked that, the things that I do think of are really special experiences in a cinema, in a packed house with you know premium projection and great atmosphere, like uh, the two thousand and one Space Odyssey re-release a couple of years ago, or. Um, I'm, I don't want to say The Shining because I don't want to just say Stanley Kubrick, but, you know, a lot of sellout screenings I've been to that have been really special. Um, and there is something special about seeing it on, you know, an enormous screen, really loud, really immersive. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? Um, I think I've talked on this show before about how I was really changed as a kid by watching The Third Man in the cinema at the BFI. And that was, like, again, just sort of blows open your doors of perception. But I also have had incredible times watching films like Night of the Hunter to take a similar sort of movie at home on a DVD and that was similarly sort of spiritual and 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 life changing so it's hard to just say one or the other mm-hmm. is 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 the way in fact I, I, if anything I've had more opportunities to discover really amazing cinema at home mm-hmm. through f- things like love film if you go back in the day or mm-hmm. 
like uh, well maybe less Netflix but things like movie and film struck me out the at home is is a totally valid place to watch a film and I th- I, I kind of enjoy watching movies on my laptop anyway so yeah there's something about having that uh, a laptop as long as it's it's close to you it's like on your you know right in your face <laughs> and it's like being in the cinema I thought it's like overwhelms your vision mm-hmm. um, um, so you yeah, both mentioned the magic of being in a theatre and that quality that kind of almost indescribable quality of it um, but I wanted to talk about uh, Walter Benjamin um, who was a Marxist theorist who, talk about art, who talked about art in the age of mechanical reproduction um, in the early 20th century and he explores the idea that art is made more accessible through modern technology um, and it's no longer a privilege of the few that can afford to go to the big theatres to see the exclusive movies. Now the fact that art can be reproduced and made available to anyone with uh, an, in- an internet connection or you know maybe even your small local DVD shop or something um, and so the fact that you don't have to pay as much or go somewhere you can bring it to yourself um, it becomes sort of more democratic um, and the more accessible and maybe that's something we should embrace the accessibility of art yeah absolutely but then on the other side if art is more made more democratic in that way maybe it does lose something and he sort of describes the aura of art when you do go to see it in its original form or in the cinema um is it worth losing that quality just to make it a bit more accessible i think that's it a lot of uh film critics or filmmakers talk about the cinema as like a church or like their church and it's this like special place where you're aside from the rest of the world and you're just alone with your god which is awesome Wells or whoever and that's that's the kind of experience that you can't really replicate at home unless you're literally by yourself and you've hidden your phone somewhere that you can't find so um paul schrader in transcendental style in film talks about this really uh really well really eloquently um he describes this transcendental style uh that's this kind of art house style that you'd see in ozu or bresson as almost boring in fact i think he does call it boring and he likens it to when you go to church and you are bored, but you're you know that you're in the presence of something like larger than yourself. And so, I guess he's if if the filmmaking is trying to replicate that sort of experience, and that then you have to be in a specific place to to watch it because you can only experience it in that same way that it's that's the only place that it will affect you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the same for all movies, but certainly for a, a kind of film mm-hmm. that you want to give yourself over to. Maybe you have to take the time out and leave the house and, and okay. do it there. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Interesting. Yeah, maybe there's something to be said about putting the effort in and paying for the experience does make you sort of pay attention a little bit more or invest in it and engage with it in a bit more in a sharper or different way definitely i think as well when when if there's like a new film out that's had like buzz around it and you're there uh on the opening night and there's a crowd there and they're all everyone's there's read about it or is excited because it's a film out of whatever festival or or from whatever reason like that is a really special feeling that when you watch it on vod like months down the line and it's kind of diluted a little bit 
even if you're excited to watch it still. Mm. Um, like, I enjoyed watching Tully the other night, but would I have enjoyed it more on the first night at the cinema where I really didn't know anything about it? Maybe that's that's something else as well. Yeah. I think I've definitely had experiences where I'm disappointed that maybe I couldn't watch it at the cinema, so I'm watching on TV. Or maybe I'm watching it on my laptop, which is a smaller screen still, because I just couldn't figure out the logistics of actually getting to see it on a, on a larger screen. And I've been disappointed, and I've thought, it's already a little bit ruined. But then I've still come up the film and thought, it's really amazing. I've still managed to engage with its plot. I've still managed to engage with its aesthetic. And maybe I'm placing too much weight on the experience when, you know, the film, I'm still getting something from it. Definitely. Like, the, the film itself doesn't change. The film is the is the film, right? Mm-hmm. You've just got to put yourself in a space that's right for you. Yeah. And, yeah, if for some people that means you literally have to run out on the first day and watch it or make sure that you go to those specific screenings of mm-hmm. an older classic, then do that because that's the time that you know that you'll enjoy that movie mm-hmm. like if you know that you can just watch like some f- some film at home if you can watch um like the dolce vita at home on a smaller screen that's fine mm-hmm. if, if if you if you're going to get if you feel like you're going to enjoy it as much mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't change the film yeah the film's bigger than your experience of it yes although i have had an experience where um I think when I was about 16, me and my group of friends, we did movie nights at each other's houses every every few weeks. And um, at one of our friend's houses, we ended up in the smaller room with the smaller TV. And no one liked the films that day. Because we, what we do, everyone would bring a film to share with the others. Yeah. And I still liked the film I brought, but I didn't really <laughs> enjoy the other two films that were chosen. And they were Silence of the Lambs and um, Doctor Strangelove. And that was my first time seeing them. And I didn't enjoy them. And, you know, those are canonical classics. And I've since seen Silence of the Lambs and loved it. So maybe I do think the small screen had something to do with it. Yeah, could could well be. Um, I think Doctor Strangelove's, like, not a film to watch with a group. Okay. I don't think it's very funny. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's a potential judge movie, like, <laughs> because that movie's so overrated. Okay. But um, it's just... Yeah, I feel like if you're at a slumber party, then that are they the right? That's is that even about war the the movie or the the the, the presentation of the films as much as the choices of movies? Is that a whole different thing again? Like like if it had been Clueless instead of Doctor Strange Love, would that have been more fun on a smaller screen? So I brought Gross Point Blank. Oh, that's and a good. That's cool. a great. Yeah. My mates didn't enjoy it. And right. Is it because they were also just watching it on the small screen that wasn't giving us enough? Because you know, that was a weird day. Maybe it was just <laughs> a day. No one had fun that day, so maybe yeah. there's something else going on. Because that's a range of movies. What did you start with that day? I think it was Doctor Strange Love. There you go. <laughs> start on the wrong foot. That's the last one you should have got to. Really? You go gross point blank. Everyone's having fun. You might eat a pizza or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Then you go. Science of the Lambs. We're gonna pay a bit more attention. We're a bit. You know. We're more into it. We're full of pizza. And then it's Doctor Strange loving you for all full asleep. That's that's <laughs> how. That's how it went at my slumber party. And we did the exact same three films. Okay. Um, but look, this isn't Judge Slumber Party. This is Judge Movie, and um, I don't think the, those movies are bad because of. No. Uh, but it is interesting this kind of relationship between the artifact and the presentation of the artifact what effect that does have Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I remember similar sort of going to a friend's house and we would always watch like John Carpenter films or David Cronenberg movies. And I was like, I'll get them into the Coen brothers. And we stuck on Miller's Crossing. But I think it was just like, because we were just two friends like sat there to watch this really intensive dialogue movie. It's just like, it's just wrong. So within 10 minutes, he was like, switch this off. This is terrible. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you've got to be in a zone. And I think that's what going to the cinema forces you to be in a zone. The lights are down. You know you can't talk or someone's yeah. going to poke you. you. You can't look at your phone. Yeah. So. I think sometimes you can recreate that atmosphere alone. But you're right, with other people there, it does kind of, it's a different kind of atmosphere. Um, but I think certainly when you're alone, you can, yeah, recreate that atmosphere yeah. and that intensity. I think the, the big worry now with, the, with being alone is you just, people just go on their phone all the time. Mm. I'm guilty of it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to add there. I don't want to, not trying to sound like anyone's dad, but everyone's glued to phone screens these days. And... Um, yeah, sorry. Is that a quote? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not quoting Vice article that I read earlier. Hey. What? I, I can judge Vice. Okay. This is Judge Vice. Welcome to Judge Vice. Uh, but today we're going to judge Vice. There's a really bad article about Netflix versus cinema on there. Um, so where does that leave us then with, with, with this, this conversation? Where, where, where are we? I don't know. Should we hear from some other people? Yeah. I feel this is the time to get some expert testimony from some of the cinema goers at Cinema Rediscovered. Yep. Some of the cinema rediscoverers. I'm Rebecca. I'm a film writer uh, and I write for Another Gaze. Uh, and I joined the Watershed Critics Workshop this weekend. Uh, we've, we've been discussing, you know, the ins and outs of good criticism um, and really in the festival exploring old films that have been often re restored or rediscovered in, in the title of the um, festival on the big screen. Cool. So what would you say has been like the highlight? Ooh, there's been a lot, I guess, immediately, just because it was last night. I really enjoyed the screening of uh, Just Another Girl on the IRT. Um, Leslie Harris was there and just listening to her journey as a filmmaker in the 90s you know, being contemporaries with Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee, but facing so much more institutional kind of gates um, and struggles and getting her stuff off the ground uh, was really illuminating to me uh, as, as a young person who, you know, didn't grow up in that age, but has consumed a lot of that era of movies retrospectively about the ins and outs of what happened behind the screen. Um. How, how do you think seeing something like that at the cinema uh, changes it to if you just put it on DVD, mm. even if it was with like reading materials? Yeah, I think reading, I think it really, watching something on a big screen, especially with a crowd that's invested in the film as well, really lets you access the more visceral responses to it. Like if you read something, it's often quite academic, quite scholarly. It makes you think, you know, but you wouldn't, sort of see a scene and gasp as much as you would with a crowd of people who are also freaking out or enjoying something. Um, and so I think watching on the big screen for me helped really tease out the subtleties of the humorous scenes. Um, kind of, I felt like we were in a collective conversation. You know, there are quite some upsetting parts in that movie and just 
you know, sensing the mood of the room, I felt I was both watching a film and going on a, an emotional journey with the audience um, and digesting what was happening on screen. Um, what is, yeah, uh, how, how has this made you, has this festival made you sort of reconsider uh, your sort of home viewing preferences? Are you someone that likes mm. to watch stuff on Netflix or are you like a cinema only sort of person? Yeah. I live in London, so I would have to be much wealthier than I currently am to be a cinema-only person. Um, it's definitely made me more aware of those sorts of screenings that happen beyond the big releases, which I think, especially when you're in a major city, that's what you get seen advertised at you in the tube, on the buses. Um, so it's made me... It, Yes, definitely more excited and motivated to seek those out, those screening opportunities. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think often there is, at the same time, some enjoyments about going, you know, watching a film alone, um, especially the more emotionally intense ones, I find quite too intense to watch in a cinema. Um, but definitely, I think I've enjoyed watching these old movies that wouldn't be on a big screen here um, a lot. Uh, hello, my name is Kit Ramsey. Uh, I'm a uh, filmmaker and a journalist to do a film. And I'm here at Cinema Rediscovered 2018. Nice. Uh, so what, what's been the best experience here? The best experience uh, would probably be seeing Get Carter by Mike Hodges on 35mm. Uh, it was uh, shown just yesterday and uh, I'm still thinking about it now. It was a good experience. Yeah, what, what, what was different about sitting here? I think probably the most, the key aspect to it being um, the 35mm. Um, seeing it even in its, you know, less than. Uh, how do I put it? The, the, the actual um, print itself is obviously very crackly, but that's sort of part of the whole tactile uh, experience of watching the film. So that added a lot to it, obviously, uh, including, you know, errors of it in which, um, you know, the film may have to be rewound because something happens to it, uh, which is what happened at the beginning of that screening. But, you know, it's all part and parcel of the experience. Um, so, has the rediscovery changed how you approach uh, sort of revisiting classic movies? Uh, I've been going to it for a couple of years now. Uh, it's definitely made me appreciate the kind of festival environment because it allows you to sort of be involved with these screenings in which everyone is there for a very specific purpose, uh, which is to sort of appreciate these films shown in this very specific style. And that's not to knock other ways of watching them. You know, you can just enjoy it, uh, you know, just as well at home in your own kind of setup. But uh, there is obviously something very special about the kind of actual experience of being here with people who want to see it in that particular way. I'm Tara, Tara Janet. I don't know if you want my last name. Um, I'm a recent, just recently graduated from the University of Exeter. Um, I'm a video essayist and I'm here at Cinema Rediscovered as part of their critics program. Amazing. So what's, what's the best film you've seen? Though? Best film I've seen, definitely Just Another Girl on the IRT. It was so good. It's so good. Honestly, I, I wanted to cry at the fact that I hadn't heard of it and seen it and the fact that it just seems to be swept under the rug. I'm really happy that we got to see it on the big screen. What, what was different about seeing that on the big screen as opposed to if you'd had a DVD with like reading materials yeah. and dodges in there? I think it was the fact that before the screening started, finding out it was one, it was the only print, like the film print they have, and finding that out 
it just it feels special when you're watching it. you feel like you're kind of let into a little secret and I kind of like that it feels like it doesn't feel like what you would have at home it feels uh, it's a very it's an experience that you can only have once okay. and I think that's what makes it exciting so uh, in general are you a cinema or a person? definitely a cinema person I just I, I, I try and avoid watching certain films that I know they'll do re-releases of because okay. I'd rather see it for the first time in the cinema yeah. than at home like what, for example? So, for example, stuff like The Red Shoes, I waited until um, is in cinema. And also if I know the anniversary is coming up. So, for example, Reservoir Dogs, knowing it's an anniversary, I didn't watch it on DVD. So even if it's a year to the anniversary, I know they're going to do it. So I'll just wait because there's so much other stuff to see. It's not like I'll be, I'll be on Netflix for hours scrolling anyway. So, <laughs> so how does uh, Cinema Rediscovered specifically like, reshape how you think about like accessibility films have been able to find new stuff. Yeah, I definitely think it's good in the fact that I find it hard. I think the problem is the thing where at the moment there's the problem of there's so much to watch and it's kind of nice having a program set out for you and with accessibility, the idea that you won't spend hours, you won't need to find or pay for a subscription. You can go to the cinema and having a pass and seeing as many films as we did. It definitely made the past worthwhile and I think it's nice being told what to watch <laughs> rather than just not knowing what to do. Welcome back to Judge Movie. Uh, you just had some interesting testimony. Um, give me a lot to lot to think about. Um, I noticed someone mentioned uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. So we're back to that again. I, I feel like Netflix keeps coming up here as, as a sort of, it's almost like a boogeyman, right? Like, yeah, I think yeah, it's not the be all and end all of streaming or watching mm. films on your on new technology like your laptop or your phone. Um, there's other options like uh, Mubi um, or Filmstruck or I think the Times Warner Archive. Yeah, I don't know if that's available in the UK. It's not, but, but they're fighting the good fight, right? I suggest people go on YouTube and have a little rootle around there because you know what? I'm not going to judge YouTube. It's great. You can find all sorts of movies on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those are some some of the, some of the great discoveries of like my childhood. Yeah, finding films in ten parts on YouTube. In ten parts, right? Evil Dead in ten parts. Yeah, oh, that, was, that was a good one. Back when um, uh, <clears throat> YouTube had an upload limit of about about ten fifteen minutes, and you you'd want to watch that movie, so you'd sit there and watch. Yeah, I'm gonna watch Clerks and wait for it all to buffer. I've got ten tabs open <laughs> of them all buffering. Something will happen in this movie, right? Yeah. People say it's funny. Mm. I'll watch clerks at the end it wasn't funny nothing happened you didn't like it it was terrible what clerks wow okay we gotta revisit this for uh judge kevin smith <laughs> we can judge kevin smith definitely clerks is great I've, I've not watched it it's like probably since 2006 you know what but... i watched it on netflix for the first time and i thought it was great maybe it's that youtube the YouTube rip didn't do it justice. Mm. Didn't do that clean 16mm, the beautiful cinematography. Kevin Smith sets off his shots really well. He, was, he puts the camera like right in front of the actors and they talk. He's in a confined He's... space, and that's what it's like in a, in a, in a little shop like a that. I'm a man of privilege. I've never had to go into a convenience shop, so I guess it's just outside of my realm of experience. But um, yeah, I'll be up for revisiting it. Um, if only to send it down along yeah. with Kevin's Well, it is on Netflix, so you can watch it there. I mean, it, it was on Netflix a few years ago, at least. <laughs> um, Has he got any good films? Dogma's bad, right? I feel like Dog- Dogma's one. It's got good performances in it, at sure. least. 
um, I think it does. It does, you know, prompt a conversation about religion in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, right. Do you remember Mega Video when Hell you're streaming yeah. a video and it would take so long to buffer, and then there'd be a limit about fifty four minutes, and then you couldn't watch any more for about another half hour or an hour. My God, yeah. And then you. You'd be waiting for those last Everything. 20 minutes. I watched about four seasons of Entourage and like the first two seasons of Dexter like that. Wow. Just sat at home, refreshing it, refreshing it, watching the minute timer go down slowly yeah. so I can watch some more. It's an interesting some kind of commitment entourage. that you drive yourself to for that. And it did kind of create a special relationship with that, whatever you were watching. That <laughs> yeah. You really wanted to finish it and you were willing to wait. And it's in that that you end up discovering like other things. It's It's... it's being a teenager sat waiting for mega video to work that you trawl through the entourage wikipedia and find i don't know something interesting that someone's yeah yeah so a cast member's obscure filmography exactly i think that's something that a lot of these articles about uh netflix and kill have um have overlooked is the actual sense of discovery that you find on the internet maybe maybe that's something that's changed in the sort of modern version of the internet that's more social media oriented and more corporate dare i say but uh, for in my time and as a teenager it was just limitless the possibilities of movies that you'd find and different voices that you'd find and people would defend some things or you'd find a forum where they're slagging something off mm-hmm. and how people had different tastes in different parts of the internet I think, I mean, I think social media is still ripe for that. There's still a lot of recommendations going around. Um, And yeah, that kind of discovery, the experience of that conversation does kind of go alongside that kind of streaming um, experience. Yeah. But I I I think like if you, especially if you live out in the countryside or somewhere that you're not actually near to a cinema that's going to be replaying Bella Tars movies, then Mm -hmm. having the option to get them like director posed by love film yeah. you know, rest in peace was 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 an amazing alternative i think yeah um and so you, you shouldn't we shouldn't begrudge that like if you can go to the cinema then that's great but yeah yeah it just provided another avenue another option <clears throat> to to watch these things to engage with the community that might not be nearby so what do you say judge um no, this is this is a hard one. A lot, lot of people on both sides, um, many sides to this. Uh, no, sorry. Um, I, I, it, it seems like uh, there's valid on both. I, I, I really do. I empathise with, with people on both on from coming from all angles. I, 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 I you know, it's, yeah. it's so. In a way, it's the absolute that needs to be reprimanded here. Mm-hmm. It's it's people being insisting on one thing and not allowing other ways to experience the world or other ways to see cinema or other ways to, to enjoy cinema or understand it. And that that's abhorrent. That's what we need to get rid of. So I, I'm sentencing cinematic absolutes to life. All right, we need to start taking in each other's ways of, of enjoying films, okay? That's, that's, that's Great. all you So I feel like today is a new day. Mm-hmm. Today we rediscovered cinema, okay? And uh, if you also wanted to rediscover your VLC on your phone, then that's fine too. It's all fine because it's all movies. And you know what we do? We love movies here at Judge Movie. Great. 
Great. Court adjourned. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the case closed on... Uh... Case is absolutely closed. I find that's you're another absolute. Abs- that's that's the only... the, that is... <laughs> All absolute, sooner absolutes in jail, except for this one. No more absolutes. It's the absolute that proves the lack of absolutes. Yes. That's that's what that is. Um, bye yes. bye. Sorry, that's me saying bye bye. The absolute's been like dragged off now. Okay. Which is like, okay. It's yeah. like a vicious monster. It's like it's like gooey and like tart. Anyway, it's gone now. We don't need to talk about that again. Uh, yeah. So next week we're going to be talking about Tom Cruise. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mission Impossible Six has just come out. We're going to be thinking about his performance in that, in that franchise, and Tom Cruise as a whole across across cinema. He's a crazy actor. He's a mega producer as well. Mm-hmm. He's got a weird sort of authorial stamp all over his movies. Yes. And it's going to be really interesting to break his work down through the lens of Mission Impossible, which is his his franchise, really. Yeah, it's that's his baby. His, that's his yeah. baby, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we feel, I feel like he's a little underrated in terms of his acting. There's a lot to unpack there. I think audiences have a very com- complicated relationship with Tom Cruise. They and, do, yeah. You know, he's he's a, he's a, an all time. But we're we're gonna get to that. Yeah, gonna get we're, to that next week. We're not overlooked at the case files, but you know, we'll see the fallout from that. Nice. Mission Impossible Fallout cinemas. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have any thoughts about Tom Cruise, maybe you love him. Maybe you're one of the crazy people that hate him. We want to hear from you. We want to hear you jumping on a sofa and talking about how much you hate Tom Cruise. Or right. love him. Or love him, yeah. We've got space for that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and you can do that by getting in touch at Judge Movie Pod on Twitter or Instagram. Yep. Um, we've also got an email address, judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com. And that's... Is there, anything, is there another thing? Mamma Mia. Oh, what? <laughs> Hold the phone. You thought this podcast was over. <laughs> well, if you take a chance on this episode, if you took a chance, what did you think about Mia 2? I thought it was interesting. It's a very interesting sequel slash prequel. Um, the first film is kind of like transplanting the stage musical to a film and it's a little bit hokey it's a little bit awkwardly directed um the narrative is kind of slamming together so many ABBA songs it's slightly incoherent but the pace of the songs is so crazy the hokiness the strange choices of casting and performance it kind of makes it work into this crazy mess Mamma Mia Here We Go Again is a much better crafted film but during the first hour I was a little bit disappointed I was like this hasn't got the same magic of the first but by the time we get to the sort of the climax with Dancing Queen and the whole cast is all back together and they're singing Dancing Queen, I was like, I was loving it. It's great. It's good fun. It's really good fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By that point, you, you, yeah, because it is quite kind of annoying the first part of it. Even though I'm enjoying all the scenes with Lily James and all the flashbacks, it does take until that moment for you to for it to like click into place. Yeah. Weirdly enough, and then after that, it's just like a roller coaster and it's brilliant. Um, it's it's the Godfather too, right? right yeah yeah you've got your flashback structure mm-hmm. your your older lead character from the first one your Meryl Streep slash Marlon Brando replaced by a young up-and-comer mm-hmm. your Robert De Niro slash Lily James 
Amanda Seyfried bringing that Al Pacino realness. Yeah, kind of paralleling all that together. And you know what? Andy Garcia, star of Godfather 3, is in Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Do you think that's why he got on board? He saw the script and he was like, I see, I'm really yeah. seeing some Coppola in this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, Mark Cousins tweeted that he was really happy that like Hollywood have done a Bollywood film. He was like, at last, like, we've got that, and it's a massive hit. And I feel like that's really on point. The colours, the vibrancy, just the, like, real life of it. Um, I I see what you're saying, but I would say it's definitely got this British flavour. Oh, yeah. Um, Because it's weird. Mamma Mia is kind of one of these adopted things into British culture, like, kind of like Kylie. Like, they think you think (laughs) of them, and it's a very British thing, which is just complicated. We won't go there. But the musical is written and made by British people, the first film was written and directed by British people. I think this one as well. I'm not sure where Old Parker's from, but you've got Richard Curtis. You've got a lot of the cast. It's very much about the sort of weird Britishness. So is it is it a Hollywood movie or a British film? Uh, yeah, it's Hollywood. I think okay. it was. I can't remember who produced it, what company. But um, yeah, I mean, ABBA was always more popular in Britain than they were in America, weren't they? Mm. So yeah, it's it's like an intrinsic part of British culture. Weirdly, it's Eurovision. Strange. It's all that. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I think anything with Julie Walters in is like automatically British. And the first film was the biggest ever box office hit in the UK. So, okay. yeah. or it was maybe until Skyfall. I, anyway, yeah. this is probably going to break that record. Mm. It's been, it's, it's crazy. It's great. Um, something that really impressed me with this film is, um, so the care they took with the script um, with this one, I think... So there's something that was potentially problematic about the first film was this course, sort of Western tourist gaze. Um, the uh, You've got these white American characters living in Greece, sort of propped up, and all the Greek characters are sort of nameless and a literal Greek chorus. And the way they don't really interact with any Greek characters is kind of problematic. But in this film, you know, you've got named Greek characters, you've got quite a few that are quite important. That are, they're not major characters, but they do have an impact on the plot. And I feel like um, that's that's interesting that they've they've sort of integrated the cast with the location a lot better, and they even make some references to the sort of economic crisis in Greece, which I was quite impressed yeah. by. They yeah they have they um, it's just sewed into the story more, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In terms of her with the buying the hotel or mm-hmm. the house and being gifted it by someone from the island and stuff. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, that is that is part of the first film, but. The fact that we meet that character. Yeah, it's really part of it, yeah. a sort of stronger connection there. Snog, marry, avoid the young, the younger versions of the dads. I don't know. I mean, I kind of want to marry the young Stellan Skarsgård character. Knowing what he'll turn into. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but then he's got his thing is about this kind of lone wolf conflict. So maybe I don't. Maybe I'm just signing myself up for pain if I if I go with if I marry yeah. him. But that's kind of where I'm drawn to. Um, what about yourself? You're, you've just done a snog uh, to marry. <laughs> um, I guess snog the young Pierce Brosnan and avoid the young Colin Firth. <laughs> I mean, no offence to him, you know, he's he's kind of touted as the least experienced, and in the first film, you know, he uh, came out the closet after his experience with young Meryl, which yeah. I feel like they didn't really, it's not really a part of the second film, it's, it's referenced. 
Yeah, I wish they'd done that because it wouldn't have taken much for them to just have that scene in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, 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 there's not so much mention of the Colin Firth character being gay. No. Um, have you seen that actor before? No. He's in Fleabag as uh, Phoebe Bridgewater's boyfriend um, or ex-boyfriend. He's absolutely hilarious in it, doing the exact same character. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's pretty great performances from everyone. Um, when I saw the trailers, I was a little bit unsure of the young, younger cut. Sorry, the the actors playing the younger versions of the. Oh, they're main so cast. well cast. But they were great. Especially really Christine Baranski and uh, Julie Walters. They were great, yeah. Are like exactly the same. It's not not just the way they look, but like the acting and the whole thing. It was great. It's very well performed. Yeah. Mm. Um, something I thought was kind of lacking from this version compared to the original film. Um, the original film had this kind of theme of celebration, of acceptance and celebration. You've got these actors who aren't um, traditionally known for their singing and dancing, and they're delivering these unique, to be generous at best, uh, of the performances and singing styles. You know, Pierce Brosnan singing SOS was very heavily criticised Colin Firth dancing they Stella's dancing they called back to it well in this one though they did call back to it but then still not they're not having these solo songs as much no and um, a lot of the performances are done by the younger cast rather than the older cast mm-hmm. um, and I feel like maybe that kind of universal acceptance and celebration of its sort of middle aged characters is, is missing a little bit yeah but you've still got moments like uh, Colin Firth leaning over the boat in sort of crazy dancing or the bit where he flops his arms around when he meets Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. you still got the silliness there. you still got it, but not as much. They're just not front and centre in the same way. No. I want to watch it again. So good. <laughs> yeah. And so we've seen the first trailer for Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which has an amazing moment where Lily James says, come on, girls. Yes. To uh, young Christine Bransky and young Julie Waters. And it is not in the final cut. What's that about? I don't know. It, that was a euphoric moment. I looked forward to that really moment was. in that trailer. I loved what it. What did she say instead? Instead, she said, "Let's go, girls." And it's it's more of a it's a wider shot and it's less intense. In um, the trailer, that, it's proper close. She's like pumping her fist. She's like, "Come on, girls!" Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um. So that's during. Which song is it? Is Mamma it? Mia. Title it's during song. yeah, Mamma again. Mia with yeah. Lo- Young. Young Donna, played by Lily James, yeah. and so maybe you can spot that. If you, yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit of a disappointment. Like, this film, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't want to judge it too harshly. This isn't Judge Mamma Mia, but you know. Um, any any other thoughts? Uh, no, that's all I've got. Jolly good. 